Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good evening again. Merry Christmas to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Merry Christmas, everybody. Good to see you again. Hey, uh, listen, before we go on with our service, can we thank Keith and the team for leading us to worship? Can we honor them? So they have been, uh, they've been just really throwing it. And uh, last, they did last night at our West Campus. They're tonight at the East Campus. They just might go on tour, man. You guys are everywhere. So... <laughs> Very grateful for you, and thank you, team. Thank you, team. We love you all very, very much. Well, listen, uh, this is, I can't believe this, but Community of Hope, this is our third Christmas here at the East Campus. Isn't that nuts? Time flies. So it's my privilege uh, to get to be here with all of you, and uh, I've been a pastor for, I've been a pastor here for a few years, I've been a pastor for several years now in general, and I'm well aware that there are two times of year where it's just special, where uh, no matter where we're at in our culture, no matter where people are at in their journey into spirituality and the journey with their relationship with God, our faith seems to always come into fuller view two times a year, right around Christmas and right around Easter, where it's thing, it just seems to bring all of its promises and potential of a season like this to make it a little bit more prominent. And uh, so I'm honored that you all have joined us for worship here tonight. There are many different churches you could have gone to, and I'm just so grateful that you came to Community of Hope. God is doing good things here. God is doing an awesome thing growing us here at the East Campus. And so I'm glad he is. He absolutely is. So I'm grateful that you guys have joined us here tonight. Hey, so here's what we're going to be talking about. Um, all throughout the month of December, if you've come to Community of Hope at any point across this month, we're in a series called Fear Not. Everyone say that with me. Fear not. And what we're talking about is some of these great statements of the Bible. In fact, it's one of the most repeated commands in all of Scripture, where the God of the Bible seems to love to show up again and again and again to his people to remind them and to command them to do one thing, which is do not be afraid, or as older translations that we have call it, fear not. It's something that's repeated again and again and again. In fact, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but Jesus, when he was on earth, gave 125 declarative statements and commands in the scripture, 125. About 20 or 21 of those, I can't remember the exact number, have to do with not being afraid. That's over 20%. That's the largest category of commands that Jesus gave to his people was don't be afraid. The next category after that, Jesus said eight times some variation of love God and love other people. So if he said that eight, but don't be afraid, over 20 times it shows us that, man, there might be something to this not being afraid thing. Because God repeated it over and over and over again. Uh, some of you may have remembered this driving up and down the highways and on I-95 and perhaps the Turnpike and other places. Um, how many of you remember a couple years ago that there were these billboards that were black with white text that seemed to be like messages from God? You guys remember some of these? Um, apparently there was a group um, of private investors that launched this national campaign to put these signs up all across the country with uplifting messages from God to us like this one here. Come over to my house on Sunday and bring the kids. God. 
nice and warm. Now, there's some other ones that, you know, we're not going to have on the screen, but I looked up some of these online because I'm like, what were some of the other ones that came out? I remember seeing some of this. If you must curse, use your name instead, God. <laughs> um, then, then there was a, that whole love thy neighbor thing. Yeah, I meant that. God. Oh, okay. And then there was this other one here. This isn't necessarily warm and uplifting. I don't know what people were trying to accomplish with this, but they paid money. Somebody gave money to put this up on the highway thinking it would bless somebody somehow. Don't make me come down there, God. <laughs> Jeez. Now, you know, here, here's the thing. It's like, why, what, what would make them put something like, bring the kids over, and you're about to get in trouble. What would make them decide between some of those? I don't know. I don't know. It makes me wonder the same type of things about what Jesus said about fear. Why did he choose to say over and over again, more than any other command, don't be afraid? Why did he do that? We're going to look at some of that tonight. It turns out that fear is a much bigger deal than we thought. And so whether you're a religious person in here tonight, or you're an irreligious person, maybe you're a spiritual person, but you're not religious. Maybe you're just not even sure of this whole church thing. Maybe you used to be a church person, but you got hurt by church people. Regardless of where you find yourself in this category, everybody deals with the issue of fear. We all struggle with it in one form or another, Right? We all do. We absolutely do. And so what we've been doing all month long here at our church is we've been exploring some of the ways that God's promises help bring the antidote to fear in our hearts and what his word might have to say to some of those things. Here's where we've been the past month. A couple of weeks ago, we started this series by talking about two people in the Bible named Zechariah and Elizabeth, who ended up becoming the parents of John the Baptist. And we talked about how their story and their struggle with infertility talks about the fear that we've missed it, the fear that we're too late, the fear that our dreams and hopes are dashed, the fear that we've missed it, that life has passed us by and it's too late. And we talked that week about, man, if you're not dead, God's not done. And even if your dreams have become broken in your hands, the God of the Bible is the one who takes the broken pieces of our lives and our broken dreams and makes something new again. And he's the God of redemption. Redemption. We talked also about the story of Jesus' mother Mary and how she must have struggled with fears of inadequacy, being a young teenage girl, being somehow found to be with child through the power of the Holy Spirit, and what everybody must have been saying about her. My goodness, we can really identify with her in the fear of being not enough, in the fear of inadequacy. Many people still struggle with that today. And we're talking about the fear of not enough is that even when we feel not enough, we learn from Mary that God is enough, that God is sufficient, and that God makes up for our lack where we feel like we're not enough. God often shows up and God takes what we often think is not enough and makes it more than enough. We talked also about Jesus' earthly adoptive father, Joseph. And my goodness, the ridicule and the shame that he must have gone through that he brought this woman who is pregnant outside of wedlock, not by him. She says it's by God, and he still takes her as his wife. Can you imagine? Joseph most definitely dealt with the fear of what other people think. And we do this today too. And it's destroying our culture, particularly through the dumpster fires known as Twitter and Facebook. 
We deal with this and we learn that what happens when you learn to pull your identity from not what everybody in front of the crowd says about you, but when you learn to live for an audience of one and how that sets your heart free. We talked just this past week and we were here 48 hours ago with Pastor Dale preaching to us at the East Campus about the shepherds and the fear of bad news and the, how worry can consume our lives. And we learned that, man, when you worry, it's actually not productive, it's counterproductive. And when you worry, that's a sign for you to lean in to God's presence and how God, when we give him our worries and our fears, there's this thing that Christians talk about called peace. That's not an idea that's just out there, but it's something that you can experience for your anxiety. It's powerful truth. Now, but tonight, we're going to be talking about the greatest fear of all that everybody struggles with. The passage we're going to be reading from tonight comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. What's on your notes, uh, if you haven't grabbed those yet out of your Connect folder, Hebrews 2 is verses 14 through 18, what's on your notes. But for our purposes tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to read 10 through 18, and that's going to be on the screen to give us a little bit of context. So follow along with me. It says this. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not afraid to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. you pray with me? Wow, Lord. I ask that by your grace and by the power of your spirit, what we talk about here in these next few moments would not be um, powerful because of my eloquence, because we know that's not enough. But, Lord, it would be powerful because your spirit would move in power. And that with your perfect love, you would cast out all of our fear, even the greatest fear of all. Do it, Lord, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let me name the fear right off the get-go. We're talking about the fear that death is the end. I hate to break it to you. You're not going to get a Hallmark card type of message here tonight. This is not going to be a heavy message. It's going to be a hope-filled message. But we're going to get real in here tonight. The greatest fear all of us face is that death is the end. Uh, The great philosopher Aristotle, 
He once called death the thing most to be feared because it appears to be the end of everything. Maybe you're not an Aristotle fan. Uh, I read one time that the great Steve Jobs, founder of Apple and legendary two-time CEO of Apple Incorporated, never put an off switch on any Apple devices. You ever notice that with your iPhone or back in the day before iPhones with iPods or any of those? There's no off switch. Why? Because Steve Jobs was afraid of death and he didn't like the idea of something being able to go click off and it's over. That's why they're not on your devices. There's a woman who wrote, uh, named Jennifer Hetch. She, she wrote a book called Doubt a History. She's, uh, she and a collective group of other people are known as the New Atheists. And listen to this. And speaking that there is nothing beyond death, that all we see is all that there is in the material world is all that there exists in the world. This famous atheist, Jennifer Hetch, wrote this. In fact, the universe is nothing other than an accidental pile of stuff jostling around with no rhythm or reason and all of life on the earth is but a tiny, utterly inconsequential speck of nothing in a corner of space existing in the blink of an eye never to be judged, noticed, or remembered. Woof, bah humbug Jennifer. Jeez, Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's all stand and close for prayer. Now, it's sad to me is that many people get stuck with this fear that this is all that there is and there is nothing else and that's it. And when we die, it's over. Now this just doesn't, uh, this, this fear just doesn't affect people who are irreligious or somebody who's part of the new atheist movement. This actually works its way into the pews, into the seats of local churches like ours as well. Many, many people struggle with this fear. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is that maybe, just maybe, the Christmas message has come to expel even that fear from the depths of our hearts. Like, what if, just think with me, what if death is not the end of you? I remember many things growing up of experiences that I didn't want to end. You ever had that feeling before? Oh, I just wish this moment would last forever. I remember being a kid growing up. Uh, I spent most of my childhood years a little bit in Denver, Colorado, and mostly in Tampa, Florida. And back in the day when you could still go out and play forever, and when the streetlights came on, that was your cue to come home, right? And I remember my mom would shout, come home time for dinner. And I always remember the last day of summer when it was time to go to school again. And I felt the sense of dread that I never wanted summer to end. Now that I'm a parent, you know, I never wanted it to end. I never wanted it to end. I remember having great uh, celebrations with, with just different deep communities that my wife and I have had where rich friendships are being built around a table with delicious food and memories are being made and joys and people are laughing till their sides hurt. I remember having this feeling going, I never want this moment to end. I remember uh, me and Leah, uh, our, I think she went back, our baby was crying maybe. Yeah, she got to go up. We have babies, yeah. So when she and I were dating... I remember going our first date together and she told me she never wanted it to end. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but I did. I know, lame, I know. I married up, everybody knows that, okay? Don't clap for that, okay, yeah. 
But I, you know, I asked her later, what were some things you never want to end? She goes on vacation. We go on vacation every year with her family to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Every single time we go on vacation with her family, she never wants it to end. Everybody knows this feeling, right? Where we never want something to end. And what if death is not your end? Pastor Max Licato, he wrote this in his book, Fearless. He said, so what if all the philosophers, and what if the pundits, what if they're wrong? What if death is less of a curse? It's more of a passageway. Not so much a crisis to be avoided, but a corner to be turned. What if a cemetery is not actually the dominion of the grim reaper, but the domain of the soul keeper, who will someday announce, O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy. What if it's not the end? And guys, this is the message of Christmas. And this is the reason why you're here. And I don't believe it's an accident that you're here. I believe it's providential that you're here tonight to hear these words of hope. And it's the hope that I long for and the hope that you long for and that every human hopes for. And it's the message of Christmas. And what we could see just from our passage is three things I want to lift up to you that dismantles the fear of death right in its face. If you're taking notes, write this down. First off, first we can see from the passage that Jesus was made, he was made like us. This is the first thing the writer of the scriptures that we're reading about tonight talks about. He was made like us. He uses phrases. He shared in their humanity and was made like us in every way. This is the idea of a Christians called the incarnation, that God somehow in some way took on human flesh in the form of a child, in the form of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, human and divine, all in one. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Yes, is it Jesus' birthday party? Look, we even have candles. That's part of it. But it's so much deeper. It's not just his birthday. It's that the God of the Bible stepped off of his throne and entered into our dust and our its dirt to identify with us and to know what it's like to be in your shoes. The most important verse in all of the Bible is not John 3.16, regardless of what you see in the end zone of a football game or on Tim Tebow's eye black. But the most important verse in the Bible is John 1.14. It says this here, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This idea distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion the world has ever seen. It's the most important verse in the Bible because Jesus has come to be made like you in every way and to understand you. Think with me about this. Because Jesus stepped off his throne and became a real person in real time with real skin, just like me and you, He knows what it's like. He can identify with us. I love companies that have great customer service. You know the difference between good customer service and bad customer services is these two words, I understand. You ever had somebody say those words to you and how it made you feel? Makes you feel heard. Makes you feel respected. Well, think about this with me about Jesus. Because Jesus became human and lived the life that he lived, Jesus understands what it's like to be poor. Jesus understands what it's like to be tired. 
Jesus understands what it's like to be mocked and humiliated. Jesus knows what it's like to have his friends betray him, to have his family discredit him. Jesus knows what it feels like to have a best friend die. Jesus knows what it feels like to have unanswered prayers. He knows what it feels like to be homeless. He knows what it feels like to be publicly rejected. And by the way, he knows what it feels like to be rejected by religious people too. He knows what it feels like to be wrongly accused of a crime. He knows what it feels like to be physically violated. He knows what it feels like to be afraid of dying. And he knows what it feels like to die. He understands you, not just the broad human experience, but everything you have experienced and are experiencing, he understands. Now here's the real kicker where it turns for what we're talking about tonight. That's the setup for everything. Notice here these next two phrases. It's Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. We're gonna put it up on the screen here. Check this out. This is our key passage for tonight. So since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. There's Christmas. There's the incarnation. But here's the thing that's so important. It's those next two words. So that. Everyone say that with me. So that. By his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The power of Christmas is far more than just a baby in a manger. The power of Christmas is in the so that. Christmas is the setup for the great rescue of all of human history. It's the setup. Now, I'm a big football fan. We got football fans in here? Yeah, all right. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Like, I thought you were a Seminole fan. They don't have football this year. Listen, all right? Uh, yeah. So, but here's the deal. Now, I don't have any team, you know, if I'm not necessarily Seattle or, you know, Cardinals or whatever, but just roll with me here. There's an idea in football, all the men or most of the men in here will know what I'm talking about. Some of the ladies too, about an idea in football called the play action pass. If you're unfamiliar with this, don't worry about it. Here's what the play action pass is. In a football game, part of the strategy for the offense is that they're going to run the football. And so there's uh, MVP candidate Russell Wilson, who's also a Christ follower, by the way, and he's handing off the football to the running back. And what they do is they set up the run, and they run the football, and they run the football, and they run the football, and they run the football. And the point is to keep running the football, not once, not twice, not three times, but 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, so that once or twice a game, just once or twice a game, the quarterback will extend the football for the handoff, and as the running back runs past him, he pulls it back in. And as the defense has sucked itself in to tackle the running back and to tackle the runner because they think it's a run play, the quarterback steps back and launches it as it's designed to be a bomb of a pass and be a huge play, maybe even score a touchdown. See, they run the ball to set up the big scoring play. And what I'm trying to tell you here tonight is that Christmas sets up Jesus rescuing you from being afraid of dying. It's the setup. It's the setup. 
unless he's born with human skin and flesh and blood like us, he can't die. To go from the hard wood of a manger to go to the hard wood of a cross. So you have to zoom out. Don't think of Christmas as just a baby. Think of Christmas as the setup that makes it possible for Jesus to go to the cross where the Bible talks about that he died for the sins of all mankind. And the Bible talks about that what's the thing that causes death? It's sin. All the things that you and I have done wrong where we've sinned against God or against one another, even against ourselves. It's the things we've done or the things that we have not done. And Jesus, because he was born, was able to go and to take your place and my place and to die the death that we all deserved. And not just that, but then to three days later, rise from the dead, with over 500 eyewitnesses, his followers, people who weren't his followers, people who thought he was crazy, people who were his enemies, all saw them with their own eyes that he lived and is alive today forevermore. Somebody who died and who came back from the other side to come and tell you, I promise you, it's not the end. I've been there and I've come back and I've made a place for you if you would have it. here's the deal. He sets us free from the fear of death because he's taken the power out of death. He sets us free from the power of death because he showed us it's not the end. And he's also made a way. He's made a way for you to walk in this freedom. You know, when Pastor Dale and, were talking, I, Pastor Dale and I were talking about this message, We were contemplating about how when Jesus arrived on earth, how people would flock to him. How people who didn't have any hope would come to him. People who were lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, poor people, rich people, religious people, irreligious people. Everybody um, ran to Jesus and their lives were changed forever by him. And the evidence of lives changed by this one man is so abundant that the full story can be never told or matched by any other person or any other teaching or any other book. And many, though not all of you, know what I'm talking about tonight. Think about this. As a pastor, I have never, ever, ever heard anybody say, well, you know, it dawned on me the other day that because there's no God and because there's no real reality, and because there's nothing after death, well, once I realized that, all of, a li- that all of life is just random meaninglessness, wow, my life suddenly changed for the better. Drugs and- I've never heard somebody say to me before, wow, I used to be addicted to drugs and alcohol, but once I realized that life is meaningless and random and that death is the end of all things, it really set me free. I've never heard anybody say to me that I used to be greedy, I used to be selfish, I used to be a debauched person, but the very fact that all that I see is all that there is, wow, that's made me whole. Never heard anybody say that. But I have heard more people say than I can ever dream of counting because they've met the one who lived, who died, and who lives again. It's changed everything for them. Everything, everything. 
So Jesus has made a way for the, yes, you will die one day just like he did, but it's not the end. You are an eternal creature made with the very breath of God, with the imprint of his image in your heart. Jesus has made a way for you to live forever with him, reunited with God the Father. And he's made a way for you to experience eternal life, not just one day, but this day, right here, right now to experience his hope, his healing, and his power. But not all of you know what I'm talking about. Hebrews 2.10, the very beginning of our passage says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, not all, not all, many, but not all. My job here tonight is not just to tell you, hey, death is not the end of you. My job to come here tonight is that Jesus has made a way for you to experience eternal life and to set you free from the fear of death one day and the death you face in your life right now. But you have to say yes to it. Friends, why would you not? It's the greatest gift of all. Would you pray with me? So Lord Jesus, as we get ready here in just a moment, to light these candles as a symbol of your light coming into the world. I pray you would give each of us hearts to invite the light of your truth into our hearts and to light the way. Thank you for setting us free from the fear of death. It's the greatest gift of all, and we long to follow you. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. And as the ushers are coming forward, we've lit many candles across Advent, the candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy. And now tonight we light the Christ candle. And I'll invite you, friends, and even though we have many ushers coming down, there's a lot of commotion, I just want you to listen to me just for a moment. If you have never invited Christ to be the leader of your life, to be your friend and your forgiver, your Lord, then maybe tonight when you light a candle as it's coming down the road, there's nothing magic about the flame, but maybe it could be a symbol of you saying yes to his light coming into your heart tonight and you can make it a prayer. So friends, let's remember the light of the world. Scripture boldly proclaims that people living in darkness have seen a great light and on those living in the shadow of death a light has dawned and Christ was life 
and that life was the light of all humankind. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, nor will it ever. So as you extinguish your candles in this room, may you resolve now to go live in the light of Christ. Go live in his light, live in his grace, live in his forgiveness and resolve to be a light in the darkness everywhere you go so that all who see you see him and all who see him may know him and all who know him may worship him. This is Jesus, the light. Amen and amen. Go in God's peace. Merry Christmas.